0: Well, today we are in First Peter five. We're going to be reading five, uh, verse five to seven. As I was preparing for this message, um, I noticed that Paul chose the message for me to have what would be on humility, right after uh, Aaron spoke last week. So uh, it's kind of funny because Aaron is a very gifted speaker, and so. I'm learning humility along with everyone else here. So, um, so God is good, and he's going to speak through his word today. Uh, let's start by reading his word. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we are in need of your presence. We are nothing without your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to speak to us through your word. We ask for you to enlighten this message to our hearts as you speak. And so, Lord, transform us, renew us, take away distractions. Do not let the enemy steal the seed of your word from our hearts as we look Intently at what you have given to us in the Bible, to Jesus Christ, Amen. There's a story of a of a preacher that was in Geneva, and, and I want to just read his words to you. After much searching in the old seminary, uh, cemetery. I'm sorry, not seminary, cemetery. <laughs> Sometimes they're not far apart, but. Um, <laughs> After much searching in the old cemetery of Plain Palaise, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but at Geneva, I found the grave of John Calvin, not far from the wall. It was covered with grass, and the shadows of Cyprus, free above it, were uh, were playing to and fro over the grave, as if to remind one of the shadowy brevity of human life. And on the stone, hardly a foot high, are the letters J.C., Now, across the the lake rises the costly and magnificent um, Duke of Brunswick's palace. But who today is the Duke of Brunswick? Who was he then? But the man whose initials are graven on that humble grave, in keeping with his theology, exalted God and humbled man, lives forever today. Last... Last message by Paul, he approached the subject of shepherding and elders and um, you know, looking to, the, to that subject in verses 1 through 5, basically exhorting elders, or presby- the presbytoi as, as it says in the Greek, um, as fellow elders and a witness of sufferings in Christ. He's, he talked about elders and talked about how they are subject to Christ the chief or great shepherd. Well, in this verse, which, which ends this section, begins these verses we read, which ends this section, begins the next section, we see Christ. We see Christ in these verses, and we see the commands to live like Christ. So there's three ways that we're called to live like Christ in these verses, and that's what we're going to walk through today. First command, obey the elders second command serve one another and third command bow to God so obey the elders serve one another and bow to God first obey the elders he says just as you know basically just as Christ Jesus was subject to his father we who are younger are to be subject to the elders so just as Christ was subject to to his father, we who are younger are to be subject to the elders. In 1991, I was, um, I was in high school. And just a few months before I had rededicated my life to Christ, at 13, I just turned 14, and I was at a trip in D.C. at a conference. And basically, at this conference, there was a message that challenged us as young people, as teenagers, to submit to God's call. If God had called you to give your life to full-time ministry, you were to submit to that. And so there was this call. Now, up to that point, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in a pastor's home. I had no desire at all to go towards full-time Christian ministry. In fact, I would rather go the other way. And so I was standing there at this crossroads, and that's when the Holy Spirit says, said, I want you to respond to this. He was calling for submission to his will against my desires. But likewise, you who are younger, whether in faith or in years, are called to submit to the elders or the pastor who resides over you. So who are those who are younger? Those who are younger can be Someone who has just come to faith or someone who is younger in years. He's calling for submission, for obedience. Uh, it's the same kind of word as, as someone who, as you harness a, a, uh, an animal, you're bringing it under control. It's, he's saying, come under the authority. Submit yourselves to the authority. In fact, First Peter 2.13 says the same word. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So he's he's saying, whether kings, authorities, submit yourselves because it's for the Lord's sake. So this submission is not just to be subservient, but we're submitting to the Lord. We're submitting to the Lord for his sake, to our pastor. Submit yourselves uh, then to God, James writes. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. These are instances of coming under authority of someone else's authority. Coming under um, the protection and teaching of an elder is called throughout Scripture because it says likewise. That word likewise is actually referring back to the shepherd submitting to the great shepherd because we're looking forward to the day that the great or chief shepherd, the good shepherd, comes back for his flock. And so the shepherd is submitting to the great shepherd. So our pastor, his response is to submit to Christ. And what is Christ calling us through Peter's words? He's calling us who are younger, under the authority of our pastor, to submit to him. These pastors, like ours, are servants. And our pastor rules well. I'm grateful to be under his teaching and... We continue to pray that he is refreshed as he is off on vacation. So Peter had in mind that the elders are not just old men here. It's the same word he uses in, in the first part of this chapter. They are the teachers, they're in authority, they are people who the apostles actually set up as they as Paul you know, you see throughout Acts, Paul and Barnabas, as they go on their missionary journeys, Peter comes to visit these churches. Many of them were setting up these guys that were known to be above reproach. They were husbands of one wife. They were um, seeking God's will. They knew were the Word of God. And so these were guys that, that um, were basically in authority in the churches as servants to those churches under the authority of Christ. Well, we who are younger whether we're we're younger as deacons or younger as as age, we are called to image Christ's humility by submitting to the elders. The image is one of a chief shepherd, a good shepherd, calling his flock. And the flock is given to the care of a pastor. And the pastor is submitting to, to the care of the chief shepherd. And so there's these humble pictures that Christ has left us, that Christ gives us through his Holy Spirit. After all, uh, why should we submit to the elders? First, there is the care that the elders bring to the church. Paul talks about this in Timothy. He says, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I believe that our pastor is one that rules well. I believe he's, he's deserving of, of double honor. Secondly, we see the Word of God as our basis to understanding God's kingdom and his people. So if our pastor is given to the Word of God to, to study, teach, proclaim, then that's the authority that he's come under. And so that authority is reason enough to come under his authority. Elders are specifically called to that ministry. You see that in Acts. We need our brothers and sisters in the local church. I've met and have friends that that have said, I don't need to go to church. I can meet with God right at home. Is that God's model? In Hebrews, he says, do not, do not forsake the gathering together as some are in habit of doing. So that's why we need to come under the authority of a pastor. We need a pastor because we can have blind spots. Yes, we have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God that leads us into all truth. But are we truly submitting to the Word of God? Are we submitting to the Spirit of God? Are we having others speak into our lives? That's the questions we have to ask ourselves. That's the questions that, that, that's the commands, the brunt of this command is to come under submission. I'm reminded of Augustine. And if any of you have taken uh, church history, Augustine is kind of one of those pillars that sticks out because he was a wild man. He, was, he lived very, um, very sinfully at first. And his mother prayed for him day in and day out. And he went and he was a great orator. He could speak. Uh, a, you know, he was basically slated for the Senate at one point. This, everyone said he's going to make it to the Senate in Rome. And he could speak eloquently. And so um, this man was humbled when he met Christ, though. When he finally met Christ through, through his mentor Ambrose. Who was not very well trained? It was not a great orator. And so Ambrose comes to him and takes him aside and shares the truth of the gospel with him. And his life is turned around because God grabs him and transforms him. And so, Augustine, what's his first thing, first line of business? Is it going to be to run towards the pulpit and say, Well, I'm a great orator? No. Instead, he tried to hide. And at one point the people in the congregation feeling, after several years of him just sitting in the back serving, said, we want you to be our pastor. And so God calls Augustine up and submits to that. But I just thought that was a good understanding before I spoke his quote here. Because he was one who exemplified humility, and he remembered his sins. And he remembered the great Savior. So, he said, do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. So we have to look to examples in Scripture, examples in, in the church, realizing that we first have to humble ourselves if we wish to be great. We have to come under authority if we wish to serve. Philippians 2 gives us this model. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, He humbled himself, even though he's God. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was subject to the Father's will and obedient to the plan at hand. Our chief shepherd came under the authority of his Father. That didn't negate his equality. In fact, there was joyful submission there because it was a joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He saw that one day there would be a joyful people following his father. How can I explain that? I can't. All I know is that's what scripture teaches. There is that submission that Christ portrayed. So, what is the extent that we submit to the pastor and again, you may ask yourself, why is this so important? Let's think back to Christ himself. Some of, some of you teenagers are reading and memorizing John 17 for youth camp. Now, John 17 is a picture of the great shepherd interceding for his sheep right before the cross. Was Christ thinking about the pain he was about to endure? No, he was thinking about his followers and what they would go through when they saw him crucified. That's an amazing picture. Our Savior didn't once think selfishly, like, wow, I, I wish I didn't have to go through this. I don't know about you, but to me, that gets to your heart when you realize our Savior saw our great sin and said, I am going to humble myself, take on the form of a man, just be made into dust in order to suffer for all of our sins. Because he knew that one day we would be redeemed. One day we would be called out of darkness. He turns to his Father and submits regardless of the cost. What is our attitude towards God when we have leaders um, in the church come to us. Are we humble? Are we emptying ourselves of our own desires and looking for the betterment of those around us? How is the gospel transforming our lives? All right, so, so that's the first The first point. Second point. Serve one another. Just as Christ clothed himself with humility, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So it was several years later. After I'd responded to God's call to to pursue ministry, I was in training at at Moody Bible Institute, and I had a roommate, Terry. And this roommate, before he left to go back to South Dakota to become uh, wedded, to get married, he, uh, I guess you don't use wedded anymore. I guess that reading those old guys with Jeff or something. (laughs) Um, So before he went back to South Dakota, uh, he took me aside and asked me, first of all, to take over leadership of the youth group at at this church he was at. And secondly, he he gave me some observations of where I needed to grow. Now this brother of mine was basically, um, he was a few years younger than me, but he was a wise, wise man. And so he said, you need to grow in humility, and you need to grow in hospitality. And he was right on. Now, I had two choices right there. Do I say, well, forget you, buddy. I'm older. I know, know what I'm talking about. Well, I, don't, I think we're all called to this type of serving one another, whether it be pointing out areas that God is working and giving common areas of grace or common observations of needs to grow. This is what it means to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. So what's the big deal with humility? What's the big deal about this that uh, Peter is speaking of? Well, Paul says, put on, in in Colossians 3, he says, put on, as God's chosen ones, humility, along with kindness, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you. So that's Paul says that in Colossians. He also says in Philippians, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. And even Christ says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is in Matthew 20. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So notice he's not saying, don't, don't be great. He's saying the great ones are the servants of, of the church. The servants of all. That's his emphasis. That's what Christ has called us to. The idea of clothing yourself is to bind or fasten to oneself, to to tie around one's waist as an apron, as a servant would. Clothing also, think about this, covers the whole person. So every part of you is called to humility. Not one section of your life can, can there be left to the aspect without allowing humility to take its hold. Humility is to characterize every believer who has been truly converted. It is like an outward manifestation of your life belonging to God and not proud. The cost of Christ gives us the freedom to bind grace and humility around us. We are like drowning men humility being our life preserver. The world would tell us otherwise, but Scripture says we must exhibit humility if we are to show the world a glimpse of Christ himself. D.L. Moody said that he, he wished that all Bibles were bound in shoe leather to show that we need to walk these truths out in humility. Because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We are called to Serve one another. Our culture in many ways goes against this. Our culture says, stick up for your rights. Make sure no one steps on you on their way to the top. But Christ is calling for a different standard. He's calling for us to serve humbly each other. St. Augustine again writes, humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. In other words, humility is the key to all other virtues. The key, if you want to grow in meekness, be humble. If you want to grow in any aspect of Christ, we are called to humility. And without humility, it is impossible to truly exhibit the gospel in our lives. You know, Peter was probably thinking about a time right before the cross when he wrote this. In John 13, he writes, uh, John writes, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So he took a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share of me. So Simon Peter, who, who wrote this epistle, saw his Savior set aside his outer garments and clothe himself with humility by tying a towel around his waist. I think that's probably the image that he's carrying into this passage. This church that he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, are under extreme persecution. And when you're pressed, what comes out is a lot of times what's in the heart. And it can be prideful to think, I want my needs met in the midst of persecution. But Peter is showing a different way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ exemplified his humility right before he bore the cross. Jesus knew who he was. He had complete understanding, the passage says, that he came from the Father, and he was going back to the Father. He had complete understanding that he was God. And what does he do? Does he go, well, I'm God, so you guys all have to bow down and worship me and wash my feet? No. He does the opposite of what probably most of us would do. Instead, he humbly takes off his outer garment as his apostles are arguing over, I'm going to be the best in the kingdom. They're saying... No, no, me. No, me. I want to be the first in the kingdom. No, I want to be the first in the kingdom. And what does Christ do while they're arguing? He lays aside his garment. He takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, and he begins to wash their feet. What must they have felt as he's walking to each one, kneeling down, taking the basin, and washing their feet? I bet you that stopped the argument right there. I bet you that they looked at each other and said, what is he doing? Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter's the only one that has the nerve to say anything. Peter turns to Christ and says, what are you doing, Lord? What? I don't get it. You're, you're, you're our Lord, and you're washing our feet. And that's when Jesus spells it out for him. Jesus says that I'm your Lord, he says, he says, basically, um, later on, he says, I'm your Lord, and you will do this for each other as I have done it for you. He was the Lord, an example. He was the Lord truly over all. And so he called them to serve. Why was this call to serve? It's because God opposes the proud. God saw, hold on a second. <laughs> so God opposes the proud. Basically, in James 4, 6 through 8, he says, but he gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, therefore, resist the devil, and he will flee. God opposes the proud. The reality is that pride seems to be the basis of of all sins, just as humility is the basis of of most graces, all graces. So pride was the beginning sin of Satan. And so later on, uh, the next section actually talks about resist the devil and he will flee. So both James and Peter show humility next to pride. They show Christ next to Satan, because the reality is that those contrast each other. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He also, uh, I, I think also there's, there's that uh, story of the righteous man, the righteous Pharisee and the unrighteous tax collector, where the, the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector. And then he goes on to say he fasts, he gives. But all the tax collector did was beat his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus had very harsh things to say, about those who would put themselves forward who did not have humility. We are called to associate with Christ's example, not the example of the evil one. As I was preparing for this, I thought back to to a story that C.J. Mahaney actually wrote in, uh, in Humility, True Greatness, which is a great book if you guys don't own it. Um, I think it's on the book table over there, too. So basically, he t- tells the story of the 25th anniversary of Covenant Life. And through the eyes of, of a member that had been there for a short time, it sounds like. And so Gary Ricucci, who was one of the founding pastors, is up there speaking about the church. And he, he basically, he says, listening intently to Gary that morning, was a church member and a small group leader named Jim. Before attending Covenant Life, he had been part of a congregation where, regretfully, a serious church split had taken place. As he listened to Gary describe our church's enduring values, Jim's mind was busy comparing these with the values evident in his former church. Why was my experience so different, Jim wondered. He heard Gary affirm that right from the beginning, covenant life had loved God's Word. Jim said, yes, we had that. Gary continued, we were in love with Jesus Christ and grateful for his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Yes, Jim thought, we had that too. We loved grace and we loved worship. Yep, had that as well. We believed in the importance of relationships, Gary added. Once again, Jim inwardly responded, okay, we have that. Then, Gary said, and there was a strong emphasis on humility, especially among the leaders. And Jim thought, nope, we did not have that we did not have. In many cases, humility is an indictment on the church in the U.S. today. These passages call us to not be hypocritical but to realize our place in the kingdom is under Christ and under our leaders that we submit to in the church, under our pastor. We're called to serve as our great shepherd serves. Thirdly, Third point, bow to God. Just as Christ humbled himself, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that that he may exalt you in the proper time. For God knows your worries and fears, and he cares for you. So we are called to bow to God. I think back to a few years ago when Pam and I were looking at seminaries. We had just gotten married, and... As we prayed about it, we had several seminary options in in the area in Chicago that we could have gone to, and we were sure that, that God was going to lead us to one of those because they were all you know they were great seminaries and suddenly, God switched our plans. My wife came to me, which I am eternally grateful for my wife. I definitely married up when I married Pam. <laughs> I'm sure you guys all agree too. <laughs> And so um, my wife came to me and said, have you thought about Gordon Conwell? Because she had visited there during college with some friends. And she, she just said, you know, God, I think, laid this on my heart. And so we went to visit the campus, and we realized that we had to bow to what God wanted, not what we wanted. Humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand so then the proper time he may exalt you means bowing to his desires and will. What does the word humble mean? It means to make oneself lower than, to come under, to bow before someone greater in honor. What is meant by God's mighty hand? Well, all throughout the Old Testament, you see the hand of God move. And you definitely don't want to be under the mighty hand of God when he moves in judgment. And so, what... Peter is saying, is you are to bring yourselves humbly under the authority of God. This is powerful imagery when you think about it. Because Jesus Jesus repeatedly talks about submitting to God, about the greatest being the servant. And so the idea of humbly coming is an image directly of our King, our gracious King. We must not look and count the cost. um, We must look to Christ and count the cost of of what it means to be proud or boastful. Because God humbly accepts sinners, but he rejects the proud. There are many here today that are weighed down by concerns. We feel the weight of sin daily. We know that this is not all there is. The irony is that the world would tell you that you just need to feel happy and be joyful and have many things. But the Word of God says we need to be humble to come to God's mighty hand and bring our worries and cares. St. Augustine again writes, Do you wish to be great? Then begin by being. Do you desire to consider a vast and lofty, lofty fabric? Then first, think first about the foundations of humility. The higher the structure is, your, is, your structure is to be, the deeper must be its foundation of humility. His authority extends beyond this time and beyond eternity. It's all-encompassing. Our great God has ultimate authority. The idea is of us coming into his presence, humbly realizing we serve a mighty God. How great is our God when you think about it? How awesome is his ability to do all good things? The key first, uh, this is a quote out of a book by Warren Wearsby, uh, the key first of course the key of course, is the phrase in due time, God never exalts anyone until that person is ready for it. So he says, "humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God in due time, basically um, first the cross, then the crown, first the suffering, then the glory. Moses was under God's hand for forty years before God sent him to deliver the Jews in Egypt. Joseph was under god's hand for at least thirteen before God lifted him up to the throne. One of the evidences of our pride is our impatience with God. And one reason for suffering is that we might learn patience. Here, Peter was referring to words he heard from his master, who said, For whosoever exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the world, our flesh, the devil, all, attack the idea of humility. It's not good, they say. It's someone who's been conquered, subservient, they say. Well, the Word of God says God opposes those who are proud. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed by God. Who can stand against God? God. So the idea then goes on to say um, that basically the word for cares or mind, basically the word denotes distractions or anxieties, burdens, worries. Those things that draw us away from being humbly submitted to God's mighty hand are the things that we are anxious about in daily life. Such worry is unnecessary because the Father's love provides for both our daily and our special needs. We have a mighty God, and he has called us to humbly look to him. Psalm 55 says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, he will sustain you. All throughout scripture we see that the poor and needy are su- sustained by our great God. We are the bruised reeds and the crushed or smoldering wicks that will easily be snuffed out if it weren't for Christ. And he is the one that uplifts us in our time of need. The act of humility is an act of faith in God. Warren Wearsby goes on to write, According to 1 Peter 5.7, we must once for all give all our cares, past, present, and future, to the Lord. We must not hand them to him piecemeal, keeping those cares that we think we can handle ourselves. If we keep a little cares for ourselves, they will soon turn into big problems or become big problems if anyone if anybody knew from experience that god cares for his own it was peter when you read the four gospels you discover that peter shared in some wonderful miracles jesus healed peter's mother-in-law gave him a great catch of fish helped him to pay the temple tax helped him to walk on water repaired the damage he had done to malchus and even delivered peter from prison So in short, we serve a great God. I'm reminded of John Newton's phrase. um, As we close here, the worship team can come up. John Newton said, Two things I've learned in my life. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And so as we think about these truths of humility... How do we see the church's mission of preaching the kingdom, the realities of the good news? Do we see ourselves as individuals in need of uh, proving and putting ourselves forward into church leadership? Or do we need to see ourselves as servants to Christ? Servants under submission to the pastor. The reality of submission is seen in the Trinity how is the reality of submission seen in our lives? How is the gospel being communicated by our humble submission to the Word of God and to leadership? What will the chief Shepherd say on that day? So as we go throughout this week, you, I challenge you to ask yourselves, how can I clothe myself in humility? How can I serve? If you're a teen, how can I serve my parents and family? If you are a parent, how can I serve my teen? I think of of many different examples. And as we close, I want to just read this this last section out of the the book on humility that CJ wrote. Contrast or have you seen any, Examples of True Greatness recently The following are just examples Or just a sampling from my observation and experience True Greatness, it's Bryce The godly teenage son who honors his parents And cares for his younger siblings Including his brother Eric Who suffers from autism It's Teresa, a single woman With an infectious laugh Who cheerfully serves numerous families in our church It's Trey, our pastor friend of mine who serves as an assistant pastor to his son, Rich. It's Eric, the successful businessman who volunteers each Sunday at our church, parking cars. It's my daughter, Kristen, who works tirelessly in her home to care for her husband, Brian, and three small boys. It's Dick, the single man man and postal worker who lived a simple life so he could give generously to families who wanted to adopt. It's also Ken, the father who left his job all that was familiar to move his family across the country to a stronger local church. It's Bernie and Pearl, the couple in their 80s, who despite severe health issues, poured their hearts and lives into the small group Bernie led. They are rejoicing with our Savior now. True greatness is all around us. The question is, do we see it? Or more important, are we pursuing it? These examples and thousands of others are what it means to be great in God's eyes, humbly serving others, his glory. Let's close in worship. So, everyone stand.